week, we jumped in and we started looking at the Sermon on the Mount, this piece in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus goes up on a mountainside and he begins to teach. Or he begins, that was horrible English. He begins to teach as he gets up on this mountainside. And we spent some time and we looked at these, these big Ten Commandments that were also given on a mountainside, you know, over a thousand years earlier to a guy named Moses that we like to talk about as the Ten Commandments. We looked at how we as humans just naturally kind of go towards this checklist of as long as I can do these things, then I can consider myself to be a good person. But as we dig into the words of Jesus and as we begin especially to look in this Matthew chapter 5 through 7 portion that we're looking at, we began to see that there's a little bit more going on than just this, hey, we need to check things off. And if you can do these things, then you're considered a good person. And it's, it's not easy for us to stomach because what we want to do is we want to look at that and we want to say, yeah, but I still have to do those things, right? Like, but that, that still makes me a good person if I do that. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's not about the things that you're doing. It's about the heart that you're doing them with. And this morning, as we dive in uh, a little bit deeper into Matthew chapter 5, if you want to open your Bibles, put your thumbs in there, your finger in there. If you want to open up and you want to look at uh, Luke chapter 7, if you want to put your finger into, actually, I can do this right here. I'm trying to get in the habit of having this. If you want to put your finger into Matthew 5, into Luke 7, into Luke 18, you will be ready to go when we get there here in just a little bit. Because Jesus goes up on this mountainside and he begins to teach. And the first words out of his mouth that we have recorded anyway when he gets up and he begins to teach is he said, blessed or blessed, depending on what part of the country you're from, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or in different translations, you may read, blessed are the poor and realize that they are in need, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Regardless, it's this idea that blessed are those who are kind of downtrodden, out, of their, out on their luck, feeling like things are hopeless, blessed are those who aren't in this real, what we would consider real good headspace, full of positive vibes, full of thinking that they're good people, full of thinking that they're righteous. Blessed are those people, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As we look through Matthew chapter 5 through 7, you're going to see this idea over and over again that Jesus takes these things that we consider to be this, well, this just makes perfect sense. This is how things are. And he says, no, it's actually the complete opposite of that. How many of you, by a show of hands, go to the doctor because you feel like everything's great? Anybody in here? Like, you know, the last time I went to the doctor, I went in there because I wanted the doctor to look at me and say, hey, you're in perfect health. Because I walked in feeling like I was in perfect health. Anybody do that? Okay, I'm not, I'm not seeing hands. I know we go in for like, or some of us anyway, go in for annual checkups and things like that where we're like, everything feels fine, but we just want to double check. But even then, we're going in because we want to double check to make sure that there isn't anything going on. We're hoping that we walk out with a clean bill of health. But we're just double checking. 
Most of us, when we go into the doctor, it's because we're not feeling well, whatever it might be. How many of you, though, I would ask, go in at the first sign of not feeling well? Anybody? Like Ben's over here like, no way, not at all. That's not even close to how I am. How many of you are a little bit like me and you like to go in when things have already progressed way past the point that you probably should have gone in to see the doctor? And the doctor looks at you and goes, hey, next time, come in a week earlier. Like, next time, don't wait so long. I didn't ask permission to share this story about my dad, but um, I guess if I ask him later and he says don't share it, I'll just delete this part out when I put it online. But a couple of weeks ago, right before we headed off to Boston, my dad actually, he went into the doctor. Um, he had been out farming and everything. He, he got super dehydrated, super overheated. And so his body just kind of, it just shut down. He went in, you know, he walked into the house, and it was one of those times where you just collapse. But my dad, being my dad, waited two days before he finally went in to see the doctor. And he actually finally went in to see the doctor after going back to work for those two days. He went in because as my mom was driving him to the hospital, and he was, or not to the hospital, as, as my mom was driving him to the parts store, because he was unable to drive himself to the parts store, he began to tell her about the symptoms that he was feeling, and she's like, I'm just, I'm gonna call the doctor and just see if it might be something like this going on. And as she explained to the doctor what was going on, he said, get him in now. Take him to the clinic. They took him to the clinic. The clinic said, get this guy over to the ER, like now. Don't, don't waste your time with us. Get him over there. And I won't go into the big, long story of what was going on, but there was, there was a lot more going on with my dad when he went in a couple of weeks ago to the point that as he was getting ready to leave and as he was getting ready to be dis, or discharged, almost said dismissed, discharged from the hospital, the doctor actually told him, if you had waited another day, we probably wouldn't have you with us anymore. Like he had put it off that long. How many of us love to just put things off. We don't want to admit that we're sick. And that's just our physical bodies. But how often do we not want to admit that, man, we are not doing as good as we're telling everybody that we're doing? We're coming in here this morning and everyone says, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. When inside you're like, man, life is, life is rough right now. Or how many times when we get to the end of a message or end of a service, you know, whether it be here, whether it be somebody else, that moment comes where the pastor puts forward that like, hey, these altars are open. If you need to come up here, these altars are open. And we're sitting there going, I really feel like I need to go up there. But everybody else around here is going to go, man, I wonder what's wrong with that person. I wonder what sin they're dealing with. I wonder what hard time they're dealing with. I wonder what they're hiding from everybody. And so we hold back because we want to look like we're strong. We want to look like we have it all together. Or maybe we're telling ourselves the lie that we do have it all together. That everything is going well. That we are a good person. That we, we are following enough of the rules that things are fine. And we don't even realize just how broken we are. As we dive into these stories this morning, I want us to to look at a few different people that we're gonna run into here. We'll, we'll define these people ahead of time. We're gonna run into a person that's called a Pharisee. 
which isn't what we walk around calling people anymore, unless you know, we have a deep, rich uh, church background and we like to use this as an insult towards somebody who acts all high and mighty, like, oh, look who's acting like a Pharisee today, kind of a thing. I don't know when the last time was I heard that insult, but I'm sure it gets used from time to time still. So we're gonna run into a guy who's called a Pharisee. In today's world, we might sometimes look at this person as the mature churchgoer. That might make this one just a, a little bit more close to home. Like this, this Pharisee is that person who has spent their whole life in the church, who knows all the rules of the church, who dresses the appropriate way when they show up to church, which by the way, if you're newer here, we don't really have an appropriate way to dress here. Just wanted to throw that out there too. But they're, they're the person who you're not gonna hear any bad language out of them. You might hear them yelling at the kids as they run through the halls because that's against the rules. Like th this, is the, this is the mature person who shows up to church. This isn't the, the newbie who just came along for the first time or the little kid who just came along. The mature churchgoer can easily fall into this category of the Pharisee. Doesn't mean they always are, but they can easily fall into this. Or as we look out into the, the world at large, maybe this, this Pharisee is more of the, the law-abiding citizen. Because that's really a lot of what being a Pharisee was all about. It was about following the, the spiritual laws. It was following those laws that God had given throughout the whole Old Testament. And it was about making sure that everybody else followed those laws too. You know, they were the, possibly, they were the pastor that would come along and they'd come up to your table while you're in the restaurant, not really so they could say hi to you and see how you're doing, but so that they could see what's in that cup that's in front of you. They could make sure that that's only your first one and not your third or fourth one. See, they're really not there to see how you're doing emotionally, they're there to make sure that you're following the rules. That's easily what this person could become in our world today. We're also going to see tax collectors, which, you know, IRS agents aren't necessarily anybody's favorite person because typically an IRS agent is taking your money away from you, or at least that's the way we look at it. But these guys were a little bit different than our IRS agents of the day where they've got all these laws to follow and everything. A tax collector in the day, yes, they took your, your taxes and everything and they gave them to the Roman government. But in the Jewish world, which would have been the world in which Jesus was growing up in and the world that he was mostly talking to, the tax collector was also a traitor. This is someone who is a Jewish person, a Hebrew-born person, who had sold out to the Roman government and who was coming along and cheating his own people out of their money so that he could give it to the Roman government. Not looked at as somebody like, hey, he's one of us. He's my good buddy. He just ended up with a bad job. Like, no, this is a person who went out and said, 
I'm going to turn my back on my people, and then on top of it, I'm going to take a little extra off the top so that I can live a nice, comfortable life off the backs of my own people. So you begin to see this tax collector isn't looked at real kindly. We're also going to run across a woman, but not just any woman, a woman of ill repute, also known as a prostitute or if you really want to get right down to it because it really makes us more uncomfortable and it really actually more accurately describes what people would have thought of her and what we would have thought of her she was a whore Which of the people would you typically look at and say, these are the greater than people? People who follow the rules, who go to church, the pastor of the church, or the people who are looked at as tax collectors and traitors and cheaters and and women who are doing things that they're not supposed to be doing with their bodies. I think we know. We don't want to admit it. Because we know where this is going, and we've been in the church long enough to know what our answer is supposed to be. But typically, we would look at this and we would say, these are the people that I want to model my life after. And don't, don't get too scared. I'm not going to say, model your life after this person. That's not where this is going. But let's look and see what Jesus had to say when he talked about some, or when he ran across some people like this. Let's look first at, or at Luke chapter 18. And we're going to look in verse 9, 9, sorry, first. Jesus is, once again, he's with his followers. And he says, it says, Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. So remember this list of people that we're talking about here. And one was a despised tax collector. Traitor, cheater, that's exactly what they would have heard. Good person, scum of the earth. That's what the people listening are hearing. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. I'm not a cheater, a sinner, an adulterer. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. In other words, this is a person who's saying, I've done so much for your church. I have given faithfully. I have served faithfully. I have done all of the things that you've wanted me to do. I have fulfilled the checklist every day that I get out of bed. I pray the Lord's Prayer before I get started with anything else. I live such a good and great life. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not this guy over here. Because this guy, man, I don't, even, I don't even want to associate with this guy. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not this Pharisee, Returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
the man who is at the point of saying, God, I'm not worthy. God, I am broken. God, I am poor in my spirit. God, I, I, I don't deserve to be in your presence. I have messed up over and over and over again. God, have mercy on me. That's the man that's going to walk home justified, not the guy who said, God, let me tell you about all the great things that I've done so that you can say, hey, thank you so much for being such a good person. Jesus takes what we typically think when we look at people and when we look at ourselves and we look at the goal of who we're going to be, he says, it's not what you think it is. Let's look at a different story. Over in Luke chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees, this guy right here, asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman, this one right here, from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now, I understand that we look at this story and we think, this is disgusting. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not coming into your house and kissing your feet. But that is how low she had gotten. That is how great she thought that he was. Now, there's a lot of cultural differences going on here too. Don't get me wrong. But that's the point that she had gotten to. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Now, Simon obviously didn't have as much respect for Jesus as many of us would. But when Jesus looks at you and says, Simon, I've got something to say to you. I know I'd be sitting there like, oh. Like several weeks ago, I was at the cross-country course, and Ryder was out there. Ryder, you know, Ryder Strider is the cross-country coach. And we're sitting, I've never met the guy. I've never said a word to him. And I'm standing there next to the course getting ready to cheer on the runners, and he, he's, he comes by, and he looks at me, and he points his finger at me. I'm a 37-year-old man who's never met this guy in his life, and I'm sitting here going, what did I do? What, am, am I not supposed to be standing here? I mean, what, what's going on here? And he looks at me, and he goes, how you doing this morning, man? I go, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> but when, when Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, I've got something to say to you. He should have been feeling a little bit what I felt with Ryder. So he says, go ahead, teacher. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, 
but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. He didn't, he didn't sit there and say, look, this woman is perfect. She hasn't made any problems. She is, she is an image bearer of mine. I see no fault in her. He says, no, no, no. Her sins are many, but they have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. If you put this into the cultural context that we were looking at, when, when you went over to a person's home, and especially if you were a distinguished guest, there would have been a servant there to wash the dust off of your feet because their roads were paved and they were wearing sandals and they weren't jumping in a car to get there. Their feet were nasty and filthy. And it feels good when you get your feet nice and clean. I know if I'm getting to that point where I'm going to bed and my feet are dirty, I will get up and I will wash my feet in the tub just so I can sleep a little bit better. And so that was the custom that you came in and, you, and your feet were washed by the person there. You were anointed with oil, especially if you were a distinguished guest like Jesus would have been viewed as. But this Pharisee instead kind of took the approach like it would be today where a couple of days ago I went over and I visited with, with some people. And they met me at the door and then we talked at the door for a little bit and they said, hey, you can have a seat if you would like. They invited me into their home they invited me over to a seat. Many times, and, and it didn't happen this time because I wasn't going to be there that long. Many times someone will say, hey, can I get you something to drink? You know, we have these things that we do when someone comes to our house. And then we elevate them if it's someone extra special who's coming to our house. You know, if it's that, that famous person that you've looked up to your whole life. Or if it's a, a, a parent or a teacher that you love or whoever it might be who's coming over to your house. Like, we go through and, and we act like our houses are always spotless because we don't want them to see how dirty we actually keep them most of the time. And we, we treat them like royalty when they come in. But Simon took the approach of, yeah, door's open, come on in. And as your guest is standing there at the door and they're sitting there on their chair and they're scratching themselves and they're talking to you going, yeah, we want. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some in the fridge, I guess, if you want to go get it. Well, I guess you can have somewhere to sit if you want to. Like treating Jesus like he was nobody. Not even like he wasn't distinguished, but like he was nobody. Because Simon, Simon was a somebody. Simon was a Pharisee. Simon was a good dude. Simon was righteous. Simon was a mature churchgoer. He was a law-abiding citizen. He taught other people how to follow the laws. He didn't need to worry about Jesus because he already had it all figured out. Simon also liked to make sure that everybody else knew how good Simon was. So everyone around Simon knew that Simon was a good person and that Simon followed the rules. Just like the Pharisee 
who was in there and who was praying, God, thank you that I do so many good things. I mean, talk about a backhanded thank you. Not thank you for creating me in your image. Not thank you for the great things you've done. But thank you that I'm so great. And meanwhile, on the other side in both of these stories, we have people who are completely the opposite. People who are looked down on by society. People who have gotten to that point where they've realized, man, I have no hope outside of this guy named Jesus. He is my only shot. I wonder where a lot of us line up in these stories. Not where do we want to line up in these stories? Or where do we think we're supposed to line up in these stories? But where do we actually line up in these stories? And you may be wondering, like, so what you're telling me is what I do doesn't matter. I'm not saying that at all. What we do absolutely matters. But it's not just what we do. If I could actually hold on to a marker. It's the heart that we do it with. It's the why do we do it. Am I doing these things so that other people will look at me as a righteous person? Am I doing these things because you know, if I can do these, then I'll earn my way into heaven. Am I doing these things so that I can feel good, I can look good, I can go to the church later and say I'm a good person? Or am I doing these things because I love God and I want to show other people love too because that's what he told me to do, to love him and love others, and I want to do that. Our actions absolutely matter, but the heart behind those actions matters even more. I think there's a lot of us, myself included, that we have a tendency to walk around thinking that we've got this all together, that we're good people. I've, I've grown up in the church for 37 years. My parents volunteered in the church as long as I can remember. Both of my grandpas were pastors. This is the life that I know. I've been a pastor for 13-ish years. I don't remember how long it's been. And it is really easy for me to fall into the trap of, man, I'm actually, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Last night, uh, I don't remember dreams very often. I don't even know if I dream very often, but I very rarely remember them. Last night, before getting ready to wake up this morning and to speak to you about this and to teach to you about this this morning, I had one of those dreams that, that you get to the end of it and you just feel as low and as broken as you can possibly feel. It was a weird dream. There's a lot of, I don't even, I don't even know that I could explain everything that happened in it. 
But in the midst of the dream, I remember going through this stage of, I'm gonna show these people. I'm gonna show these people, because I remember that, and it probably had something to do with the Odyssey adventure that we listened to while we were driving yesterday, so I don't know. But in the midst of the dream, I'm sitting there like, I'm gonna show these people that I really am a good person, that I'm not the person that they're all saying that I am, that, that this is all some people coming, at, they're coming against me, and none of this is true, this is all ridiculous. Like, people will eventually know that Justin Brown is a good person. I woke up at one point, I don't know if it was when Judah was crying or if it was when the dog upstairs was making a ton of noise, I don't remember, but I woke up and I just remember thinking, I've gotta, I've gotta like fall back asleep so that I can prove to these people that, that I'm not the person that they're saying that I am and I'm not the bad person they're saying I am and I'm being set up. I'm gonna show them. I fell back asleep and I'm not going to say that in this dream that I had this moment of God told me in this dream that, no, you need to humble yourself. But I got to this point in this dream where I realized I need to just admit to them that I've messed up. And that I'm not the good person that everybody's looked at me as. And I've got the skeletons in my closet and then I woke up, so I actually don't know how it turned out when I told the people that. That's what Jesus is telling us in Matthew chapter five and verse three. Blessed are the broken, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That has to mean that we have to admit that we are broken. We have to admit it to ourselves, we have to admit it to him. Sometimes we have to admit it to others. I'll be honest with you, I think I walk around with a lot of what I would consider to be humble arrogance. And I know those two don't seem to go together at all. But I'm not the type of person, I don't think anyway, that wants to promote myself, that wants to let everybody else know how good I am. But I do walk around more often than I would like to admit feeling like I'm, I'm better than the people that I come across. At least I'm not the traitor. At least I'm not the cheater. At least I'm not the male prostitute. At least I'm not these things. I do a pretty good job, you know? So while I'm not trying to promote myself and I'm not trying to make myself look better, in my mind, often I'm sitting there, at least I'm not them. And Jesus looked at people all the time and said, you know what, you're not, but you're not perfect either. You need to understand your brokenness. When we break a bone, when that moment comes that we've gotta go into the doctor, we have to admit that something is not right. If it's a broken bone, it's pretty obvious. Something is not right. But when we finally get to that moment, like we were talking about at the beginning of this, where, okay, things have gotten bad enough, 
said, I'm going to go into the doctor and I'm going to admit that there's something wrong here. It's at that point that the doctor can begin to take us on a road to healing. And I don't know how true it is. I've never actually asked somebody in the medical community if this is true or if this is one of those old wives tales. But what I've always been told is that when you break a bone and it heals properly, it actually heals back together stronger than it was before. They went out there going, no, that's actually an old wife's tale. Did I? I mean, it works great for the analogy, but I don't want to say something that's not true. It comes back and it heals stronger than it was before. And Jesus calls to us and he says, look, if you really want me to do a work in you, if you really want me to use you, you have to stop thinking of yourself as a healthy person when you're not. Because he told a group of people in Mark chapter 2 in verse 17, I'm going to pull this out because I want to make sure that I get it right. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. We know that. Nothing real deep there. He said, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but to call those who know they are sinners. I've not come to call those who think they're righteous. I've come to call those who know they are sinners. Where are you? Where are you? Do you think you're doing enough good that you can be the righteous person? Or are you able to admit that we are all sinners? We have all fallen short. And we all need his grace and his forgiveness. And if you've received it, you're going to do something again that you're going to need to receive it again. Or have you gotten to that point where you're sitting there going, but at least I'm not them. One last story for you. I was hearing, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know if this is a made-up story that just has served pastors well over the years, or if this actually happened with a pastor. But I was reading the story of a pastor who, you know, he had the, the drunk walk in on Sunday morning, and the drunk sat on the back row, and he'd been out in the bars all night. He didn't smell good. And people came up to the pastor afterwards and said, Pastor, you've got to do something about this. Like, he stinks. He's been doing this. He's obviously hung over. He's not in a good spot. You've got to do something about this, Pastor. And the pastor had the gay couple that would come and they would sit on the front row and they would hold hands with each other and the people of the church said, Pastor, you've got to do something about this. This isn't okay behavior. You've got to, you've got to talk about this. You've got to let them know how wrong they are. And just over and over, different people would come into the church and the people would come up and they'd say, Pastor, you've got to do something about these people to the point that the pastor finally got up and he did something about it. He stood up in front of everybody and he said, if you are a drunk, if you are a homosexual, if you are, and he went through the list, he said, welcome to the family of God. I want you to know that Jesus loves you, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus is here to give you forgiveness. And if you are in this room and you think that you are better than all of these other people, 
you need to understand that Jesus has made it clear he didn't come for you, he came for them. But he'll come for you when you realize that you're not better than those other people. It's a harsh reality when we realize that Jesus literally said the words, I did not come for. And it's always the Pharisees that he's talking about. But when they acknowledge their brokenness, they get to move to the different heart that Jesus said, now, now I can do something with you. We're going to sing one last song this morning, and this is, uh, it's a song that came out several years ago by a band named Gunger, and I, I've gotten to see them do it live, which is cool. They do some fun things with it and everything, but I want to invite you during this that if you know it, I, I'm always going to say, I'm, you know, feel free to sing along. There's a good chance that you might not, but this song, I hadn't thought of it in years until I was having this these moments just planning through this. And it's a beautiful story of Jesus looking at us and saying, I make beautiful things out of broken stuff all the time. If you will just give me your brokenness, which means if you will acknowledge your brokenness, Church, I'm your pastor, and I have been for a little over a year, and I will admit to you, I am a broken person that Jesus continually puts back together piece by piece. As we sing this, if you want to come up here, or you want to stay where you are, I'm not going to put the, the pressure on so you have to come up here, but if you want to come up here because you want to say, Jesus, I need to acknowledge that I have a tendency to think I'm better than other people. Or Jesus, I need to acknowledge that I'm a broken person. Or Jesus, I need you to put me back together. Or, or whatever it is that you need to come up here and you need to admit to and acknowledge to with him. I would encourage you to do that. Don't worry that other people around you might be thinking, hmm, I wonder what brokenness they're admitting to right now. Because that will constantly keep you away from what he has to offer you.